Okay, so I think that's starting now. Um, hi guys, welcome back. Uh, this is Muhammad Loga. Uh, this is We Answer, the show where we answer your questions related to applying for and studying medicine. Uh, today we've got another very special guest. Thanks for coming along. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself for us? Hi, hello everyone. I'm uh, Andy Ward. I'm a, I'm a GP working in a large surgery in Corby in Northamptonshire. I also work at Leicester Medical School. I've been there quite a long time, about 15 years. Uh, educating mainly in the first two years of the curriculum, uh, communication skills, those sort of issues, really. Yeah, cool. Um, and also, uh, my like kind of my relationship with Andy is because he's also a personal tutor of mine. So everyone that comes to uni, I think pretty much every uni they have it. You get a personal tutor uh, who's a member of the staff, uh, and you just meet with them regularly across uh, throughout the year. Um, and yeah, I think we've come to the end end of our period of. Um, like being as a tutee and tutor uh, for the first two years now. Um, and thanks to everyone for sending in their questions as usual. Um, the email as usual is mo.weanswer, so just mo.weanswer.gmail.com. The Instagram is mzl underscore 18. Um, so if you have any questions, uh, just send them there for us and we'll try to do our best with that. Um, so I don't know if you listen to any any podcasts, Andy. Not really, no. But, not, not for a while. <laughs> no, because I, I started not not quite for maybe I'd say for for a couple of years, and there's there's one main one that I listen to. It's on it's actually like a BBC Radio Five Live podcast, uh, mm-hmm. and it's about a film. So it's called Kilmore and Mayor's Film Review, uh, and what they do is um, they have like they have like the live bit, which is when it's obviously on air, and then they also have a bit before and after where they just like chat about random stuff. Yeah. So I thought about how how I could in- integrate that into this, but it's kind yeah. of it's kind of different because theirs is just them they're the regular two guys that present it, but with me it's I've got a new guest coming in every time, so I need to kind of introduce everyone beforehand. We can't really just talk yeah. about random stuff before we actually start. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, if I get do I get if I get this correct, you're a Sheffield United fan, right? I, I am. Yeah, I've been. Since they, well, my dad first took me when I was eight years old, uh, back in 1978, uh, and I've followed them ever since, yeah, with, a, with varying degrees of passion, depending on how they're getting on. <laughs> I, I don't know if you remember, but I'm a Man United fan. Um, uh, yeah, okay, I know where this is going. Because <laughs> <laughs> basically, we're recording this on the 25th, um, yeah. just for everyone that is listening in the future. Um, it was quite a good night for his Man United fans last night. <laughs> yeah, project restart. We've not really started yet. Sheffield United is still uh, still on the beach. I think uh, not not going well for us since it started again. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know if you watched the match, but there was a little bit before half time before United scored after the water break where they actually did quite well. Yeah, and then oh, the... go on. Yeah, well, I mean, we played brilliant this season, but uh, I think they're just tired, and I think. Because we, we're obviously we're not got the big multi-million pound stars that Man U have got, so we've relied on sort of passion and, and energy. And when there's no crowd behind you, it's really hard to, to generate that, yeah. that sort of level of intensity. I think so. I'll be glad when the scene's over now. I think. <laughs> I don't know how, how are you finding? Um, I don't know if you how regularly you watch football, but how are you finding the MT? Do you do you watch it with the audio, with like the fake audio, or not? Uh, to be honest, I haven't had time to watch any because the oh. kicking off at six o'clock in the evening. I'm still at work. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I, I wasn't a fan of the six o'clock as well because it's a bit of a weird time. I prefer mm. the eight quarter past eight. Yeah, for sure. It just seems a bit. I mean, I know why they're doing it, but it doesn't seem. It, it, it loses so much without the supporters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I think we'll just. Um, so like you said, you, sorry, you're a GP and you're also working at uni. Um, can you talk a little bit about, we kind of touched upon a bit of coronavirus, but can you talk about how, you, I guess, your work has changed in the past couple of months? Okay. So uh, from the practice point of view, it's changed massively. So when they uh, when they started the, the lockdown in end of March, uh, we went from probably doing 90% of our consultations in a face-to-face traditional appointment 
to uh, basically telling patients to stay away unless they were really needed to see a doctor. And we so now I would say we probably do eighty to ninety percent of our consultations by telephone or video or text, uh, and a, a minority of patients face to face. So I uh, I was on call on probably a couple of weeks ago. I had seventy appointments through the day. And I saw probably four patients face to face out of all those 70 appointments. Uh, the rest were dealt with by phone, video, whatever. Telephone by far the most common. Mm. Uh, text based is probably the next most common. Uh, and then video, videos is a sort of falling back on to, to later on, I would say. Uh, yeah. So, huge change. And actually, something that's been sort of talked about for many years and as you know, yeah. in Leicester, we do the text-based communication with patients. We've been doing that for quite a long time, and, and no one else, no other medical school has been interested in that particularly. They've, they've been interested in it, but they've not really wanted to do it. Uh, and uh, at the moment, I get weekly emails from medical schools who suddenly want to do this. They want to, they want to learn how to do it because their students are going to be doing it in real life. Uh, and uh, I think it's a massive change in 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 general practice, well, in the NHS, not just general practice, in the way consultations will take place. Yeah. It's happened literally overnight. We, we went basically from the Friday, by Monday, we'd changed everything, the appointment books, the yeah. way we, everything changed over a weekend and amazing. The sort of thing that would have taken maybe six months to, to introduce normally was done in 24 hours, basically. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a bit stressful. It's quite stressful, actually. They were, because we're having to work in new ways uh, and with a remote consultation you're, you are taking on a degree of risk that you you because you can't see the patient you that, that actually seeing how a patient walks into the room whether they're breathing normally whether they, they seem confused mm. or sweaty or you haven't got that to help you and so it's, it's there's a little bit more risk associated with it I think yeah that's kind of the next thing I was going to ask which was like how has it changed the like you kind of touched upon it the actual consultation it's so much about well we've done the clinical skills it's so much about you actually needing to see a patient mm -hmm. so i feel like there's there's a lot that's not that you're missing out i guess yeah and uh remote consultation skills again lots of medical schools have taught talked about introducing that into yeah. their curriculum years and there are some there's there's pockets of it going on telephone consultations video consultations uh every medical school at the moment is working really hard to develop teaching on these areas because the skills are a little bit different so yeah. and if you look at research on on telephone consultations for instance uh the 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 balance changes so in a, we do a lot of work in as you know on communication skills open questions mm. allowing the patient to talk and, and listening carefully uh, if you observe doctors who do that in a face-to-face -face consultation and then observe the same doctors in a telephone consultation, their communication skills change and they become a lot more directing, more closed questions. Uh, and it's a different style, I think. And, and we need to make sure that the patient isn't lost in all this rush to do things differently, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you kind of touched upon that. Um, so if we now kind of go go through I guess your your journey from medicine from I guess medical school or just before that um, to today uh, it might be a bit windy and might get lost here and there but um, so what did you I guess went to school and college did you know that you definitely wanted to do medicine or how did that come about for you? Uh, I think when I was doing my what we call O levels in those days GCSEs now uh, my favorite subject was biology I really enjoyed biology and, uh, so that pushed me into a sort of science direction, really, in terms of my A-level choices. Uh, I, I wanted to follow that up, really. I'd sort of wanted to go into biology for a career. Uh, but, but generally, then, then the idea of a, of a medicine, basically at the time, and probably still at the time, it still is, it was probably the best career to go into with science A-levels was to aim, that was the highest target. Mm. Uh, so I, I, in the end, I, I went to talk to people who were doing medicine, talk to doctors, taught students, visited a few medical schools informally because yeah. uh, we didn't really have the open day scenario that they've got now uh, and decided that's what I wanted to do. Uh, <coughs> applied to uh, 
Leicester was my second choice. Uh, but actually, when I went to have a look around, uh, decided that it was my favourite and where I wanted to go. Uh, the the students were so friendly and welcoming and, and, and quite relaxed. There wasn't sort of a, I don't know, it felt like normal people were there, not just <laughs> high flyers. And uh, and so I stayed at, came to Leicester, really enjoyed it, still live here. Uh, finishing medicine, I didn't have a clear idea of what I wanted to do with my career. Uh, I've got an idea that general practice was something I enjoyed as a student, and I, I, I quite fancied it, but I wasn't 100% certain. Still enjoyed paediatrics as well. Yeah. Uh, so, it, again, when I, when I graduated, you didn't have to join a, a training scheme in the way that you have to now. So I uh, basically just used to just take whatever jobs were available in the local area that interested me. Okay. <clears throat> I did a I did a GP training post. Then I decided I wasn't I wanted to try some other things, so I went and did A and E for a bit. So how sorry, how long how long were each of these kind of things that you, had, that you did? Uh there were six month posts, so similar okay. to a, an ST one post, ST two, ST three. Okay. I was uh, Although the, those speciality training, uh, trainee sort of rotations hadn't been introduced at that time yeah. to the same level, so you could you could join a GP training scheme, but to become a GP, you didn't have to. You could, as long as you got the relevant experience, you could become a GP. So okay. I was able to float around doing various jobs. Okay. Uh, so I, I just built my own little training scheme. So I did A and E, uh, I did uh, general medicine, orthopedics. Briefly, I was a transplant. Doctor, weirdly, uh, <laughs> I didn't. So it wasn't trans- your thing, was it? I'm guessing. Sorry, it wasn't your thing. I'm guessing. Uh, well, it was okay. Basically, I, I'd taken three months off to go travelling, and when I got back, that was the only job available. So uh, I took it, and actually, it was okay. It was quite a good job, a good team. Uh, it wasn't very difficult. Uh, went into paediatrics. Decided that was what I really liked. Did did twelve months of paediatrics okay. in Kettering. Uh, applied for the training scheme uh, the rotation but i didn't get it because i was in i was traveling at the time so they told me i couldn't have it uh decided i'd go back into general practice and finish my my gp training so i'd got that as an option and in that final attachment decided this is the career i want to to do i, I really enjoyed it okay. uh, and became a gp and I, i've been a gp ever since so that was i'm a gp now 20 22 years uh, and i I stayed in, in one practice for 18 years and then about four years ago, out of the blue, decided I wanted to, to do something a bit different and moved to Corby, which is a, a big training practice. So we have uh, 12 medical students at, from Leicester at any one time. Uh, we also get 12 Cambridge students as well. Uh, so up to 24 students at once. And I'm uh, the yeah, a huge GP grows about. Uh, we've got over t- nearly two hundred thousand patients registered across eight practices, and I, I lead the education for that. So postgraduate, undergraduate training, nurse training, etc. So that's really interesting career change for me, and uh, more responsibility, but I, I enjoy it. Yeah, I think you you kind of cut off that a little bit in the middle, but it's fine. Um, so if you kind of go back, what was the the reasons, I guess, when you were, you, I guess you were doing those rotations, what was the reasons that you kind of ended up in GP and that you really enjoyed it compared to the other ones? Yeah, I, I, I don't, it, I, people often talk about ending up in, in general practice, and actually it was a, a, a proactive choice after once I'd done the thing. Uh, yeah. The reasons, if you work for a consultant, basically a consultant is your boss. Whatever your consultant, however your consult, consultant wants to run the, the ward round, the ward, the clinics, the operating list, that's his decision or her decision. Uh, if you're a GP, you, you, you're, you are your own boss. So you, you treat patients how you want to treat it, not the way the consultant has decided they should be treated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you also have this, you're getting patients at the start of a, a disease very often when no one has any idea what it could be. It's your job to work that out. In secondary care, you're often getting patients where the diagnosis has already been made uh, and the patient is coming to you for the management of that condition. So there's, that's, I mean, that's not entirely true for every patient, but it's 
Uh, it's a bit less. In, it's a bit more of a challenge, I think, in primary care to make those diagnoses. And diagnostic reasoning is, is uh, one of the most interesting parts of the job to me. Yeah. Uh, and also, you work as part of a team, so and you you can decide on the on the makeup of that team. You can decide how many nurses you employ, how many receptionists, etc. So you can build the team to do the to run the practice the way you want it to run. Uh, uh, in a small practice, in a large practice like the one I am in now, it's obviously there's a lot of people inputting into that decision. It's not just me. Uh, yeah. As a partner, I'm a GP partner. It's my business. I'm a, I, I own a part of the business. Right? So yeah. uh, it's in, my, in everyone's interest to make that a success. Yeah. And, uh, and also working hours. Working hours for GPs. I've been uh, at the moment, and long may it continue, are much better than they are for secondary care. <laughs> we have really, really intense working days, like non-stop, eight o'clock in the morning, uh, and I, I don't leave the bill until seven o'clock in the evening, and I probably had about half an hour's break in the whole of that day. Mm. Uh, but we don't work weekends, and we don't work nights, so mm. there's a trade-off for me. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, so you mentioned you were in... the the GPs for was it 18 years? Yeah. Where was that? I was in Leicestershire, South Wigston Health Centre, which is just outside Leicester near Rugby. Uh, I stayed a long time and I, and I made some really good friends, and it's a really good place to work, but it didn't have the size and the scope that Corby has and the ability to develop okay. teaching and different things that, that Corby has given me. Uh, um, so I guess th those are the reasons that you kind of went to the, the Corby one. Yes, yeah, it was, it was the, there was an opportunity to do something very different uh, with time to do it as well, which is unusual in, in primary care. As I said, okay. you pretty intense working days. They they give me time to do the role I need to to do there, which is which is good. Um, so when when you moved to the Corby one, was that when you started up at the uni as well? No, I've been at the uni uh, as I say about fifteen years. Uh, that was while I was in South Wigston. Uh, yeah. I've sort of been involved with teaching students. Uh, as an external tutor in, in one or two courses uh, and then I uh, and a vacancy became available and at the time uh, education wasn't really that interesting to most GPs the, uh, so, it was, so I, when I applied for it I was the only applicant uh, <laughs> which was good for me uh, but now and I've been there ever since and I, it, it's a role that is constantly evolving constantly changing uh, Students are taught are now consultants mm. uh, and GPs. I mean, it's, I mean, you know, one of the GP registrars came into the surgery. So I remember you, you taught me at the medical school. Uh, it's really nice to sort of see that progression, see, see mm. people you've taught, personal tutees you've had, like mm. self, who've gone on to, to do better things. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I, I, I really enjoy teaching. It's, it's kept me in the job, I think. If, if I didn't do the teaching, I think I'd have given up on medicine. Probably, probably a few years back, it gives me okay. that variety and that interest. Okay, um, so I think you mentioned at the start that you're also the lead for the, the we call it the CHGD unit, it's got a bit yeah. of a long name, but it's essentially just the consultation skills unit. Um, yeah. so how, how did that kind of come about? Well, I used to, when I first started working there, I took on uh, a course called, what's it called at the time, Living with Long-Term Conditions. Uh, which was uh, where students would visit a patient in the community and they write a long 10,000 word essay about it. Uh, I also used to be the communication skills training lead okay. at the medical school. And those courses sort of got merged together into the CHDD course with with another uh, another module that was also about consultation skills, examination skills, mm. etc. Uh, and so suddenly I got I had to run a new course, or design a new course. I was also given a lot of curricular time, so lots of sessions, so uh, 30 sessions for the in, in the med school over two years, uh, and I had no content for it. So <laughs> I had, I was also had to recruit tutors from the local community. So we had to recruit 40 GPs to teach. I had to train them. I had to write all the content for the course. I had to design, think about and work with the assessment team to design the OSCE stations, yeah. run the OSCEs. Uh, yeah, it was hard. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of uh, a lot of work going on at weekends and in my own spare time on that. 
but it, but I think it's it's worked. I think it's. Uh, I'm a member of a big organisation of, of UK medical schools, uh, and we meet regularly to talk about this sort of stuff. And I think a lot of them are pretty jealous of what we offer, uh, what I've been given, you know, the resource, the the capacity, mm. curricular time to do this. Uh, and we've got some real innovative teachers at Leicester, people like Ron Sue, who's now retired, who've helped me to to really make the teaching something different, something. In, 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 you know, covering stuff that no one else is really covering. Uh, I think it's it's been a good course. Uh, well, student feedback's all right, I'd say it's pretty good. <laughs> and what we're seeing is when when the students come into the, the clinical placements, we're seeing a definite improvement in their abilities uh, from the from the start in, in dealing with patients. So the, the 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 sort of hitting the ground running when they get into the clinical placements, whereas it would have maybe taken six months for them to reach that stage in the past. <clears throat> um, so we, we kind of mentioned that you're doing the OSCE, you sort of the OSCEs. Um, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the fact that we had to cancel this year? Uh, well, a lot of work had gone into that, a lot yes. of work. Uh, we, had it, we had it ready to go, it was all set up uh, and then obviously cancelled. Running run the OSCEs is a, is a very stressful thing. Uh, there's so much can go wrong. Uh, students obviously want to have a smooth, easy day. Well, not easy, but you know, something they don't want things to be going wrong. That we, we can't have things stressing the students because we're not organized or because we've made a mistake. Uh, so there's a huge amount of stress on everyone, it's a big undertaking. So, partly it was a bit of a relief because I was thinking, oh, well, that's a, a week when I don't have all that stress. Uh, we're going to have to do it next year. The, the good thing is we've now got the OSCE ready. We're just going to run the OSCE that we were going to run <laughs> for you lot. Uh, yeah, so, uh, so there's less work to prepare for it. But, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and it's just, I mean, it, it's a shame for you because mm. I think it gives you that confidence to know you've got the skills to go to clinical years when you've, you've been assessed and, and passed. It gives you a bit of a boost. But, uh, you know, I'm sure you didn't mind not having to do it. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say it is a bit of a mixture. It's the, the mixture of not having to do an exam, uh, mm -hmm. but then also the the reason why you have an exam is because it is important and you do learn a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And like you say, for the next few years, that's that's pretty much what we do for the next year at least. It's just those are the skills that we need for the next year. So it is yeah. kind of um, kind of a bit of a bummer that I didn't get to do because I think that's my strength as well compared to like written exams. Um, yeah. I, th I think I'm better in that those kind of situation, but I guess you just got to take it as it is uh, and just adapt, I guess. I think there's a bit of a spiral thing going on. You know, every every OSCE you do every year is a bit harder. It raises the challenge of each year, and you've missed a year, so so you're going from the formative to quite a more a more difficult OSCE in the third year, probably now. Uh, which has got some extra bits in from than what you would have had in year two. So, so you missed this sort of stage in that progression, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so at, at what point did you also become a personal tutor? Or have you been doing that since you've been at uni? Yeah, I mean, it was when I first joined, it was a bit of a requirement really you had to do it. Uh, I think uh, it's, it's now much more structured. You've got, you know, in the old days, I mean, when I, when I, I had a personal tutor when I was a student. I think I met him once at the start of the course, and he never, I never saw him again. <laughs> uh, and I'd, I was a bit disappointed about that as a student because friends of mine who were at other universities had got really good relationships with their personal tutors. They'd sort of meet with them socially, perhaps, or, or just meet with them more regularly. Uh, and I think when I started as a personal tutor, it was a bit hands-off. It was you had to meet them every so often, and you were always available, but it wasn't the structure that there is now. So we have obviously regular meetings now and, and I try to be as accessible as possible to the personal tutor, you know, obviously within reason, I'm only there two days a week. Uh, and I try and sort of make it a bit less formal as well, so we get to do some more relaxed things like go to the pub or, or go to walk the dog or something. Just and the way I thought about that, my daughter's about to start university in September and I thought what would I want the personal tutor in the university to do for her <laughs> and I'd want her to feel looked after and feel there was someone she could talk to if she got stressed or worried about something mm. uh, so I'll try to offer that to my personal tutor. 
personal two T's. Yeah, and I think that's pretty much. I think I was quite happy that that I kind of I kind of got assigned to you or you got assigned to us because I don't think I could have dealt with a person that's more of a formal person and not I don't know if strict is the word but kind of quite formal and kind of more academically. It's not that you're not academically orientated, but it's not it's not the end of the world if you don't do the best or you get the first decile in every exam. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's more about feeling like you're feeling like you're doing okay and just just I guess being there. Um, yeah. Also mentioned like the um, the dog walks and the pub. Obviously, I don't I don't really go to the pub, but the dog walks I was there for. Uh, I think was it the last time we met was uh, was the cafe. In the cafe where it was raining really terrible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think I was soaked. My my clothes were like um, very very wet <laughs> after that. Um, yeah. Like I say, it's just good that we get to get that kind of that that time uh, yeah. a bit more informally. Uh, and we also went to Bradgate Park, which is which is very very nice. Um, yeah. I think it, I'm still like surprised that they have actual deer there. <laughs> yeah. You can buy the you can buy venison to eat from there as well. So they, they kill the deer or something, and you can eat them <laughs> if you're that into that. Yeah. yeah, I'm just I'm just like my mind's blown that like, you can just go for a drive half an hour away and then you're in and there's deer like right there. It's yeah. a bit crazy. <laughs> But also, I think one one story from there is I think I was sending an email off to you in a lecture or something, and obviously yeah. there's, there's loads of people around us, and how, how like we said we're quite got quite an informal relationship. So I was writing hi Andy, and whatever blah blah blah. Please can you sort this meeting out? And my mates were next to me, and they were like, "What are you doing? How are you calling him Andy? And how are you saying hi?" I was just like, "This this is just how we are with like we don't like it's more of an informal relationship. This is just." Yeah. just how- how I prefer it. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, that's what I was hoping for. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think even though not all of us came to the last meeting, uh, we we are quite uh, happy that we got we kind of got you. Uh, I think we'll be missing you next week, next year as well. Hopefully, we can we might be able to try something sort something out when we do go back to uni. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's a, a problem that there's the sort of preclinical and the clinical tutors because. Uh, Ideally, we'd follow you through the five years, mm. but that would mean having five tutor groups for me, and I'd be having two is a bit of a push, but uh, yeah. quite an enjoyable part of the job at that level. So, how have you found like our group specifically as a, as a group, or me as a tutee? <laughs> Fine. I mean, uh, I seem to have trouble three tutor groups, and I think I talked to some of my colleagues, and they're having real difficulties with tutors not duties not engaging or, or struggling with work or struggling with uh, personal issues uh, and I would say on the whole I've not had that I've had groups that have basically been fairly relaxed sort of had a good relationship within the group uh, with each other and I've found you know, I enjoy your company you know I enjoy going on the dog walks going to the cafe whatever uh, and I don't know the, I don't know if it works if it's partly because of that informal process just the regular check it, checking in and making sure everyone's happy uh, whether that m- makes a happy tutor group or mm-hmm. I've just been lucky with the allocations I don't know <laughs> maybe, maybe just I guess like a mixture of everything yeah I mean it's quite stressful isn't it you come to medical school you've, you've uh, you're often moving away from home I mean mm-hmm. not everyone but often you are uh, new friends new yeah. ways of learning so it's a different way of learning to a level completely changing how it how you have to sort of there's so much information to take on board yeah. uh, you know it's and, and you're only you're only 18 you know it's mm-hmm. you know, it's there's still a lot, lot to a lot of experience life experience to have really and so just being like a not a parent but that's the way i sort of viewed it like a, a, a friend almost but a professional friend if that makes sense you know you've got to have a bit of distance i can't mm. you know i can't go to the pub if you get drunk and fall over that'd not be great but uh just being available for a chat about anything football yeah. <laughs> i think i've been kind of blessed with that because um like i said i, I also did a, a year of biological sciences before i came uh, and even with that i got like a really nice tutor and it was like i said quite informal um <laughs> I think, yeah, he was just, and then, so he basically is Professor uh, Chalice, or Chalice, I think he does one of the lectures at the start of the um, the, medic, the first year of medicine. Okay. Um, so I, I basically transferred, and then I saw him before he did his lecture, 
Um, and we were like, yeah, how's it going? And he's like, oh, you made it. And because obviously I, I let him know that I wanted to do medicine. I wanted to transfer when, when we were, when we were um, tutor and tutor back then. Um, so he was like really, really nice and stuff. Uh, and then he actually, when, when I saw him in the lecture, I didn't actually email him that I actually got into medicine. So he was like, oh, Marvin, you didn't even let me know that you, that you actually got in. I was like, oh, I just forgot. I had a bit of a busy somewhere, that kind of a thing. Yeah. But uh, I, bet, I guess I've been kind of lucky with that. Uh, and also, I had Dr. Ron Chu um, on the podcast, uh, I think on Tuesday. Oh, yeah. Or, okay. or, or last Sunday. Um, and we were kind of talking about the Belbin group thing. Uh, and I was actually like, we, we do obviously have our times when we're not working the best. But overall, we, we've actually been quite blessed and lucky with um, the group that I've actually got, uh, and it's it's quite nice that it turned out that well. Yeah, and we're obviously we're facing challenges now because a lot of the group meetings are going to be remote mm. on Zoom, uh, and I think some of the things we talked about won't happen so easily. And I think mm. uh, we're, we're we're working at a med school on how we make it work for the new personal duties coming in in the first year because uh, they're facing an even more uncertain time. I think, yeah. uh, but. Uh, yeah, I think it, I think having there was lots of talk about one to ones and group meetings. I think a, a good like we did a, a, an informal go to go out have a chat informally in the pub as we did that first couple of weeks. Uh, just breaks down some of the barriers between not just me but also between the group themselves because everyone's a little bit shy of each other probably at first. Uh, and actually, people realise actually this person's all right. You know, <laughs> when you talk, they're interested in this or that and. Yeah. I'm very keen to see those that sort of approach going, I think. Um, so, as we kind of talked about earlier, you're the lead for the CHGD and mm. you also do the OSCEs. So, mm. if you're talking about, say, hypothetically, I'm a person that's coming into second year um, this semester, this September, um, any kind of tips for them as they go into this new year? And obviously, you, you start doing clinical placements and CHGD is also changing a bit as well. Any tips for them? Uh, I think. With everything, it's doing the preparation before the sessions is important, and uh, you'll get much more out of it out of a session if you do, uh, because the preparation is is targeted for that particular session, so it, it sets the scene, gets your head in the space we want it to be. Uh, particularly when going out to the hospital placements, which which will be taking place in the second years, I believe. Uh, you know, it's it's making sure you arrive there prepared, ready to, because the learning opportunities are quite quick. You're going to have an hour and a half or an hour. You want to get the most out of that. Uh, yeah. And I think just taking part, asking questions, engaging, just just you know, try and get as much out of it as you can. If you if you ask questions rather than sit there quietly, if you volunteer to do role plays, if you put yourself in the, in the you will gain so much more out of this. I remember as a, as a student, I was pretty nervous about those sort of things. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you, if you don't practice these things, you won't get good at them. Uh, and the best way to gain confidence is just practice and practice and practice. And if you, yeah. can get, if you can get feedback on what you've done, that's even better. And the only way to do that is to do that teaching session. Right? Yeah. So I think for me, one of the highlights of, of the year and the CH3D was the actual clinical placements. Um, I guess there's only three every semester, so six over the year, um, and we were in Kettering. Um, but overall, we, I think we sorted out one and a half hours or two and a half hour sessions, um, and there was three of us in the group, and it, it was actually, pretty, like I said, the highlight pretty much um, of the week and of whenever the sessions were, um, because it actually, it brings everything into context and it actually helps a lot in learning what you need to learn, because I think one of the, one of the times, I think it was the cardio exam that we were doing uh, and you had a patient who had I think they had heart failure or hypertension and you know like the, t the typical signs that you that you learn about in first year and then we saw them on a patient and we, I was we were just like because um, I think I was watching so with three of us I was I was watching and giving feedback one was doing the examination and one was doing the history so I think uh, Manav was doing the history and he was asking questions about so you know if you lie down you get breathless and if you wake up you wake up breathless um, you know, the, those kind of signs. And I was just thinking, it's actually how it is in the textbook and how it is when they talk about it in the lecture. And it's like, it's, when it actually clicks, it's actually really nice to know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's 
Well, I, yeah, to see it, whenever I, if I hear a heart murmur on a patient, I've got a student in the next room, I'll call them through so they can listen to this. And to see the face when they actually hear it for the first time is actually quite quite good. You think, yeah, they've got it. Yeah. <laughs> and practising on healthy volunteers, we do a lot of practice on healthy volunteers and simulated patients is good and it's a good way to learn. But there's no substitute for getting your hands on a on a real patient and, and actually finding out what, what it's like for a real patient you know, to have a disease or something, uh, which is what the patient their best thing offers a little bit, you know, you get to see real people in that. Do you want to kind of expand on the PKB a little bit, or maybe first year students, second year students? Yeah, okay, so in that there's uh, your allocate, your, your Belbin group, your group of eight students is allocated to a patient and you communicate with them through patient their best, which is a, an electronic shared patient record. It's really used in the NHS. It's extensively used in Wales and parts of London and it's, it's spreading rapidly at the moment. Uh, and they have a discussion feature so you can say so patients can ask questions and get comments back from the from the doctor or, or healthcare provider. Uh, and we use that with real patients and you have a discussion with them over the course of two years about various aspects of their care, what it's like to be a patient. Uh, you know, and actually in the second year, do a bit of work on trying to get them to adopt a new healthy lifestyle or, or look after themselves better. Uh, and it's been very successful. I think uh, student feedback has, has been variable at times. Uh, and part of that is students don't know what's good for them, I think. <laughs> uh, but but actually, I, I've, I've seen some fantastic examples of students benefiting and actually patients benefiting. They've got a We've got a patient who uh, has who developed cancer during the course, okay. uh, and so I, I said to her, "Would you like to to stop doing it? Because you know you're going to have in chemotherapy, you're going to be ill for a period of time." And she said, "No, I want to want to keep going. I want the students to know about this and what it's like." Yeah. Uh, and uh, at the time, we were doing the dietary advice thing, so the students were offering dietary advice healthy lifestyles mm. and, she came, and she went to see her oncologist and the oncologist said you need to have a high protein diet with lots of iron in it so instead of researching that she, she messaged the patient her best students said I've been told I need a high protein diet with lots of iron and the students came back with recipes and they would ring they would message her and say how are you getting on did you like that food if you don't if she didn't like it they'd find there's something else uh, and it really engaged the patient, and the patient completed the chemotherapy and she had to go about four courses. And then the consultant said to her, she says, said, I never had a patient who'd managed to maintain their uh, protein uh, intake so well uh, and actually complete the course of treatment in one go. She says, normally most patients have to have a break because they lose too much weight. Yeah. But you, it says, how did you do it? And she said it was a student. The students kept messaging me and I kept changing my diet and it worked. And she, she loves the students. She thinks the students got her through a chemotherapy. Yeah, that's <laughs> so great. That's really, it makes me think, sometimes when I'm a bit tired and things aren't going well and, and this patient best isn't working, I want it to, or students aren't doing what I've asked them to do, which happens a fair amount. Uh, I think about that story. I think actually, no, it is worth it. Let's keep going. <laughs> and now, especially with the with all the remote consultations that are happening everywhere, we were onto something ahead of a lot of other places. And so now, we're, now we're seeing this, seeing that bearing fruit. I think. Yeah, I think I think with us and our um, and our patient, uh, I think for the start of the year and the start of the semester, we take a bit of time to get um, to get going know how we're supposed to send a message within I think two or three days or something yeah. um, so we usually procrastinate a bit as, as, as we get the message and then yeah. o over time we kind of get used to it and get in the swing of things and we, and we get all right so we got a couple of messages from you but then we, we sorted it out which was fine yeah well I, that's, I found that that's one of the ways to get students engaged is I send a message and they usually start working then but the, as I said the uh, I've been talking about this I've presented this work various conferences all over the place actually it's lots of interest in it but it's always been oh that's very interesting thanks i've had 14 medical schools contact me in the last four weeks asking me how we do it can they do it how do they get in touch with patients over so suddenly everyone wants it so it's yeah. going to be and i think i think i can see a time when every medical school is doing this uh, yeah. it's not far off i don't think okay 
Um, so if you kind of go to towards my situation, so I'm going to third year now, um, like you mentioned, the clinical years, um, placement in hospitals, GPs. Um, say for someone that's coming into, like you said, your your surgery, your area, um, any kind of top tips for them? I know you probably go into more detail later on um, formally, but um, any quick tips? It's pretty much the same as what I just said, really. It's make sure you do the prep work and you engage. Just have a go. Uh, you, you're coming into the clinic, into the clinical setting, much better prepared than students before CHDD existed. So you, you're ready to do consultations. You should have the confidence to talk to patients and find out what's going on. Uh, and I think the students in my practice who've gained the most have been the ones who've gone a bit beyond what's expected. So there's a level of expectation you will do this. But some students have thought, actually, I want to do a bit more than that. I want to get involved a bit more. I want to help the practice in some way. I want to do an audit. I want to help, but I want to help develop projects or something. So we had a, in, in Corby, we had a social prescribing project that a group of students set up uh, with my help, but mostly did the work themselves. Uh, actually creating a, uh, creating a, a referral directory, talking to patients, arranging clinics, and actually run the clinic themselves. So, so we would refer patients to the students who were then sort out with social prescribing. Uh, and that's been really successful and, uh, and is, it's been rolled out across the whole practice, still happening even though the students have all moved on uh, mm. and uh, got them, they've, they've had presentations at conferences about it, they've won prizes for it, we've got a, a journal article about to be published about it as well. And that's because they, they went the extra mile and they thought, I want to get a bit more out of this, I'm going to do, some, do a bit more. So become a member of the team and join in and, and you know, and, and one of the things, one of the probably the most valuable lessons I ever learned as a, a student in clinical practice is don't just think about the medical staff. All the other staff there have got so much they can do to help you uh, and make your life easier and give you a better experience. But you have to respect everyone. Uh, so no matter what their role is, be yeah. polite, offer to make them a cup of tea, uh, listen to them. Uh, and you will go far. <laughs> um, even the tea lady and the nurses and everyone make sure you just chat to them. It's great. They're always yeah. on the ward. We're only there a few times. Yeah, and I, I would say the nurses, even the most junior nurses, even the, the nursing students on the on the ward, know more than you do about how a ward operates. <laughs> so there, you want them on your side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so kind of, so if we go back to my situation and there's others in our year. Um, say they've known they want to do GP from first year. Say they what they've found out they want to, they definitely want to do it now. Um, yeah. Any kind of top tips for if they want to be maybe in your situation in the future? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think first I'll probably join the GP society if you're not joined it already, because I think they organise lots of events, give you the opportunity to speak to GPs and, and experience, find out, answer questions and things. They're they're really good. Yeah. I think uh, I would say that one of the benefits of general practices is that you can you don't have to know a lot about everything you just uh, about one topic so you need you say you're not an expert in one topic mm. you're an expert generalist you know lots about everything yeah. so uh, so any experience in medicine helps prepare you to be a gp so mm. if you decide if you decide you want to be an obstetrician you go off and do it and after two years think oh no this is not for me uh, you could become a GP. You'd have to do a bit more training, you'd have to do some different specialties, but you could then become a GP. Uh, it'd be quite hard for me to turn around now and say, I'm going to be an obstetrician now. I think uh, that would not probably go that well. Uh, <laughs> but it does happen. People do go the other way occasionally. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's just, just, you know, when you go on your GP attachment, talk to the GPs, find out what they think of the job, uh, talk to the registrars probably, Quite a bit the, the training doctors because they're, they're they're you know closer to you in their experiences uh, and definitely join the GP society and, and get some advice you know, do do some of the events that they're doing yeah okay that's great for all those that are thinking about that I know there's a few in our group I think Manav wants to I think he's pretty much set on it because he's done the GP as well I think okay. yeah sounds <laughs> good reasons I, I would honestly say uh, I did lots of different jobs lots of different jobs as i said and it was the best and it still is the best and i've been doing it for 20 odd years i still enjoy seeing patients 
I think you're, tr you're trying to convert me because uh, so for me, GP is not the highest on my list. It's it's more lower down. Um, just maybe because of the experiences that I've had where uh, in a GP, you're kind of just in a single room uh, and you meet patients like 10 minutes at a time. Uh, I don't, it's not really attracting me very much yet, but I'm, I'm quite open to see what it's like in the next few years and then we'll go from there. I think if you want to do a, uh, a varied career, so most GPs do the consultation as you mentioned, but I would say nearly all the GPs now do something else as well. So if it's teaching like me at the university, some do minor surgery, some do clinics at the hospital as well. Uh, if you're into business, you can take a big active role in the running of the business. So there are loads of opportunities. Uh, I was down at a GP surgery visiting that specialises in homeless healthcare and, and asylum seekers and prison medicine, totally different to what I do, but still GPs and, and that, that really interested me. Is that is that the thing where it's um, that special GP with special interest? Is that yes? Yeah. At the moment, I'm developing uh, a role as a GP with special interest in homeless healthcare because uh, because in Corby we have a lot of homeless, so I'm trying to develop a service to help them. And we, it was going quite well, and then the COVID nineteen thing kicked in, yeah. and, and actually one of the responses to that was to put all homeless people into housing. So suddenly. It, it relieved a bit of the pressure, yeah. uh, uh, but it, it will come back and we're trying to work to develop a bit of a service for those patients. Um, so I've got a bit of a weird hypothetical question now for you. Um, so say you didn't have to work um, solely for the money, um, w would you be doing the same thing as you are currently or would you be on a on a beach somewhere <laughs> to fill a cocktail or something? It's a good question. Uh, Honestly, I would I would not be working five days a week if I didn't have to do for. I mean, it's it's not all dad's money because the other money is important. Obviously, you've got kids going to university and everything. Mm. Uh, it's it's only part of it, I would say, because the roles that I have, so the the university role, I have to do two days a week. There's no way I could do the, the amount of work required in less than two days. Mm. Uh, we have a rule at Corby that you have to do two full clinical days a week minimum you can't do less than that clinical yeah and then the education role that i do for corby is a whole day a week mm. so that's five days ideally i'd have a day off in the middle of all that somewhere but at the moment unless i change one of my jobs i can't uh and i enjoy the education side of both jobs so much that i'm willing to to do that uh but if it, if i think if, if, if someone came and said here's here's a million pound just have a couple of years off well 10 years off where <laughs> uh, I would uh, I'd start to get a bit bored after a while I think yeah uh, you know I've sort of because of the lockdown we're obviously working I'm working from home today for the university yeah. uh, I sort of miss going in I miss seeing the, seeing the students I miss seeing my colleagues having a coffee together chatting about stuff yeah I'd yeah. miss all <laughs> yeah I think I'm in that boat as well um, I get quite bored quite easily not to say that I don't like going on holiday and just chilling and doing nothing, and doing nothing, but after after a couple of weeks, it just I just kind of like my brain just tends to mush. I, I need to be like doing something. Um, I, it's interesting. I got sorry, I got a question the other day about someone about how do you stay so productive. I'm just like I I do a certain amount within a day, and I also so say for example, I'll do nine till five, and then from five I can do pretty much whatever I want to do. I can relax. So it's not like it's not like I'm working all day, I still have time to relax. Uh, so it's just, it's just about the balance, I guess. I think if you ask my wife if she thinks I should do something else, she'd probably say, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah I don't want to be coming home weary at the end of the day <laughs> and hear me moaning about stuff. <laughs> moaning about angry patients. Yeah, well, not, not patients, actually. I, I, it's not, I don't mind patients. I, I mean, even the most difficult patients... I would say they're difficult because they've got problems. It's not because they've just been difficult. Yeah. And I think my job is to try and try and find out what's making them behave this way. Not mm. not think I'm not going to see this patient ever again. They're awful. Yeah. What's making them behave this way? It's it, it's the other issues. It's the administrative stuff. It's the government policy. It's 
it's all that stuff. And the same at university, I love teaching. I love having students in a room and teaching them. But mm. there's so much admin administration to do. There's so much work developing and assessing and all that that I don't get to do enough of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. But, yeah, still. Okay, so I think this is going to be my final question now. We're coming up on, on a bit of time. Um, so obviously, if you've talked about medicine's a very like intensive subject and a very intensive career, you might come home weary after a long day at work. Uh, what do you kind of do to relax and to relieve that stress? Uh, well, I've got, I'd say I drink tons of beer, but that would be not true. <laughs> Although uh, I do like a beer now and again. But we've got two dogs uh, walking. Yes. And I, we had one dog when, I, when you came to the work, and I've got another one. She's uh, fast asleep down here now, but she's quite a busy little puppy. So that keeps me busy a lot of evenings. I go out on my bike, cycling. There's a group of us go out. Uh, one of my personal tutees comes from uh, from probably about five or six years back. Comes out with us still okay. now. Uh, just yeah, you know, like I like to get out in the get out in the countryside, get some green around me, and, uh, and just relax like that. That's my favourite way of relaxing, I'd say. As you can see, in my background I've got a lot of greenery. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that, that's making me feel relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> you recognise where it's from? No. Yeah, um, I don't know if you had the old Windows um, oh, yeah. screensaver. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. basically, I've got I've got issues with recording in my house, so um, I thought I'd just put a little background up on Skype. We're doing a Skype call for the audio listeners out there, and I've got the old Windows background up. Yeah, it's uh, very nostalgic. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, what can I do? And then I, it just came into my mind, so I thought, why not? Yeah. Uh, um, so I think. Like I said, we're pretty much there. Um, if anyone else, as usual, has any questions, like I said at the beginning, uh, email is mo.wianza mo at gmail.com. Instagram is mzl underscore 18. Uh, I've also got a blog coming out. Uh, I think I'm doing it once a week now because I'm a bit busy with revision. Uh, just go to Medium and search Muhammad Logat. should be up there. Or you can go on the Instagram and the link's in the bio. Uh, once again, thanks very much, Andy, for, uh, or Dr. Andy Ward, as his full title is. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much again for coming on and taking time out of your day for this. That's okay. Yeah, nice to see you again. Uh, Thanks, sir. All right, see you then. Cheers. Bye. Thanks, everyone else, for listening. Bye.